This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, here we are, buddy. Uh, episode 124 with the man, Mr. Rod Giltaka. Um, and this is your first podcast. Uh, welcome to Talk is Sheep. Yeah, it's funny. I told my I told Lanny last night that I was going to be on a podcast today, and I mentioned it to my son this morning, and they basically laughed at me. I, I think I'm the old dog, uh, and they're like, "What? What? <laughs> you know, like, come on, really? You're on a podcast?" I'm like, "Yeah, man. I think we're talking about doing two. One this, you know, one this week, maybe one later in the week, and one next week or something, and do the next one about well, whatever we're going to do it about hunting gear or camp or backpack gear. But yeah, uh, great. You know, I met Rod at uh, at the Kamloops uh, fundraiser. At the AGM, um, sat with him at my table. Uh, he and his wife, uh, amazing, amazing guy, and just obviously a passion uh, for what he's doing and for uh, you know for standing up for our rights or what we would hope to be our rights in this country. And uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about the CCFR. I, I hope that that our members seeing noticing that we've donated to them and, and a substantial amount of money um, this this last year. Don't uh, don't think that's just enough, and that they don't need to themselves. I think each individual member, if they feel strongly about being able to use their hunting rifles um, for the rest of their lives, and maybe being able to hand them down to their grandkids, um, that they step up and become members and uh, do do the right thing, man. If you got a little bit of extra money, donate, buy a membership, buy a life membership, buy a membership for a buddy. I mean, it's just it's really good. The CCFR, they're the only people organization that i've seen that are really having an impact on this on this fight in canada and uh, i think they deserve our support yeah it's interesting right we you know we've seen this death by a thousand cuts we've seen grizzly bear go away we see all this crap so you know and it's just like we have to stand up as a community right and that's one thing that you've advocated right from the get-go as one of our leaders in on the society as a vp the director um, is just, you know, we got to stick together. And it's like, don't start thinking about, oh, it's only a handgun or it's only an AR-15 or whatever. If it's legal, it's legal. And we have to start, yeah, okay, if there's a reason that it doesn't belong in our space, if it's unethical or, you know, whatever, it's not in line with our values, that's different. But, you know, just because you don't do something, just because you don't hunt grizzly bears or don't hunt wolves or don't hunt predators or you don't have a handgun doesn't mean we shouldn't be standing up for those that want to, right? Because it's just a matter of time. They're just, you know, they, we, we say it over and over. They want to take it all. There's, they're not stopping it at those things. So No, no, we're, they're just scratching the surface right now. And, the, the, you know, the latest woke world we live in and cancel culture and everything else just leads us down this path even more. Yeah, just they're almost holding our hand as we walk down the path, and that if we're not careful, we end up slitting our own throats because we're not supporting the people we need to support. Yeah, very, uh, very good point. So, um, and and you know, like uh, it, it, it's unfortunate that most people took into you know, hey, they're coming to get your you know, uh, Weatherby Mark Five. You know, they're going to take your Weatherby Mark Five. People went, what? They're going to take that? And and that's just it. Like anyone that doesn't see it, like come on, it's time to wake up. You know, it's uh, and it, it's not fear mongering. This is not about oh, you know, they could do this. They could do, they're doing it. They're actually taking hunting rifles. It's it's a fact, and it's yeah. you know people are starting starting to see it now. And this isn't new. We've been talking about it for a decade. This is yeah. not yeah new. And, yeah. And again, just mistruths and uh, and and basic dishonesty in a lot of cases. Uh, then they're pushing their agenda, right? And yeah, that's we we got to do our best to stand up for ourselves and and combat that mistruth. Yeah. 
Well said. So, uh, no, great to have you on the podcast. This was a great chat with Rod. Um, always a pleasure to have him on. We're going to get this out to social um, on the channels as soon as we can. And then you and I are going to touch base again. And uh, that's the one thing is I've heard so many people saying, you got to have Southern on. You got to <laughs> talk gear because he's a freaking gear junkie. And I don't want you to do it when your wife's around because I don't <laughs> know how much gear you got. Yeah, I'll, I'll go um, down to the gear room actually and we'll just pull stuff <laughs> in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, let, let's do that. It'll be it'll be a good time. Lots of good stuff to talk about. And uh, we can talk about the... Uh, uh, I guess I don't know how my evolution as a, as a backpack hunter and, and that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, so the gear we started with and where we're at nowadays and, uh, you know, some tools that we can use to, to help us, you know, to help us do what we want to do as, uh, as efficiently as possible. Cause it really is all about efficiency. I've got a really good hunting partner. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's a pound more. It's a half pound more. Well, by the time we throw, pick up our packs, his pack's 10 pounds heavier and he, you know, it's just one of those things, right? And he's my regular guy, you know? Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, well, hey, the, the thing is though, but buddy, the cool thing about that is then you just split the difference, right? So you can oh, carry oh, his five pounds. I, I just spent $300,000 <laughs> on new gear. I mean, that that's exaggerating, but good God, man, you do it added up every year. The wife, the wife is looking at me when I said 300000 <laughs> But uh, yeah, I said that for her. But yeah, I mean, it's not a year goes by that I, you're not you're not upgrading your things and uh and man it's probably two to five every year on gear like it's how do you not spend it and then you sell some stuff you hope and give stuff away and my kids does really well on my on my used gear and <laughs> looks better than most of my friends do with with all this cool shit but anyways yeah awesome okay well uh we'll touch base on that in the next couple of weeks here i'm really excited about that podcast actually looking forward to talking some gear with you but uh in the interim we're gonna go to episode 124 with uh, the CCFR's Rod Giltaka. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Precision Optics. Thank you Sitka Gear and Precision Optics for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Mr. Rod Giltaka, I got you back on the uh, Talk to Sheep podcast. It's uh, becoming a regular thing now and uh, quite enjoy it, to be honest with you. It's good to have you. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. We got uh, Mike today. Join us, Mike Southern, VP of Wild Sheep Society BC, and obviously uh, Mike's uh, keenly uh, interested in in the gun issues in Canada and been a big force on our board of directors around sort of you know our approach to just the support we've shown for the CCFR. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, Rod, um, I think we had you on uh, just before you guys launched your new campaign. I think it was January. It's been a few months now, and obviously lots has gone on. Then maybe just give us an update of what's going on and where we're at with uh, with uh, gun bans and all that sort of fun stuff. Well, the fight rages on. Um, you brought up the, uh, the Scrap C21 campaign uh, that we did launch a, a couple of months ago. Um, I, I can't help but think that that one was very successful. Um, the that was against the amendments for Bill C-21 that the Liberals uh, had come out uh, with at the last minute. Uh, the, the fight over the amendments had gone for, for over two months. And then uh, we rolled out Scrap C-21. Eight days later, they withdrew the amendments. And I would love to take, uh, to take credit for that, um, but I don't know that. So um, I would like to think that it helped. And of course, we are able to do that because um, people like uh, like your organization are supporting us and and allow us to to punch above our weight. So we'll have to credit you guys and everyone else that that uh, that donated and support the CCFR. So that's uh, that's really good. Um, but bear in mind, those were two amendments out of the like ninety six 
that the liberals and the NDP and the bloc brought most, almost all the liberals. And we fought for two and a half months, almost three months over those two amendments. There's still 93 more for the committee to go through. And, you know, you can get through 20 of them in a meeting, I guess, if you, you know, if they're inconsequential, if they're very small, um, but it's still going to cause, uh, cause a lot more time to pass. And we're trying to run the clock out on Bill C-21 because this government won't be in power forever. So the farther we can kick that can down the road, the better. So that's kind of the situation with Bill C-21 and that campaign. So you're not going to give the NDP any credit for this? Uh, the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, nobody did anything, right? The, the conservatives and the gun lobby and gun owners, they did nothing. It was all Peter <laughs> Julian. And, uh, you know, flanked by what's um, um, Alistair McGregor, right? The, the come on, Mr. Giltaka, you've got lots of guns left, if you remember that from the committee. I'm like, uh, I'm yeah. running out of guns here. And he's, he was like, no, you got lots of guns. I'm like, okay. It was pretty unreal watching it. I mean, it's Saturday mornings. It's a regular, uh, re- almost religious for me. I sit down, I watch the morning news, drink my coffee, and then I'll watch your what you put out on the Friday with your weekly review. And it's, yeah, watching all that stuff and being able to have that access to it with being a CCFR member is just giant. I mean, just to be able to see that and really be caught up to date on everything that went on that week, like, absolutely everything. It's uh, it's brilliant. And, and your guys' take on it, you and Tracy, is, yeah, it's just, ah, you're, you're some of my favorite people, man. It's, I it's appreciate awesome. it. So, Rod, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, those two amendments that got thrown out. So, obviously, you guys launched your campaign. This got thrown out. Um, and, you know, where does that go from here? Um, what do we see in next? You know, obviously, there's all these other amendments. And then the one thing that, you know, resonated with me when we had you on last time was, you know, basically, the, the hand, handgun ban is, that's here to stay. That's, we're stuck with that. There's no foreseeable future where that's going away. So let's talk a little bit about next steps just around the amendments and what's going, coming down the pipe with that. Well, as I mentioned, there's 93 more amendments to go. Um, the liberals have said flat out that they are reformulating those two amendments that were withdrawn. Uh, they're going to go back, try to try to figure out what was why everybody was so mad. <laughs> As if they didn't know why everybody was mad. Like, you're taking my property for no good reason. You haven't justified anything. Um, that's why we're mad. So anyway, just shortly thereafter, uh, after the uh, amend- amendments were withdrawn, uh, we got a message from um, public safety that they were going to do a technical briefing about those amendments. We attended that technical briefing. And basically, they said to us, the liberal government, well, the government um, is trying to, they want to know why everybody was so mad and how they can reformulate these amendments to, you know, somehow take property from Canadians and then not, then them not get so mad, I guess is what it is if I'm paraphrasing. So they are coming back with something. So this fight is long from over. They're determined to take all these guns at whatever, whatever cost. So the amendment thing that's coming back, that rages on um, for sure. And then, as I mentioned, you got all these others to deal with. So if Bill C-21 ends up becoming law, and it's just a guess, it, it won't be till the end of this year, if at all. Okay, so one thing, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that there was some sort of uh, allies out there that sort of helped with this. I, I can't help but think so. First Nations, uh, we look about like the working, you know, the, the farmers, for ex- example, they were a classic example. So, you know, um, it, that's that's the target that you know I think helped us a lot. Do do we see a scenario where the liberals just show up with the same bill and they you know exclude somebody that's using it for for work and somebody that excludes somebody that the First Nations and then they just the same crap shows up? What are your thoughts on that? 
Um, who knows? I mean, these people are ideologues, right? They're, I mean, in my, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, they're extremists in my, in my view, because, you know, you can't just reason with them. You can't say, well, you have to demonstrate that licensed gun owners represent a disproportionate risk to public safety. That's what you need to do in order to take this property. I mean, you have to justify it somehow. And it's, it's talking points and it's political talk. And it's like, well, we need to make Canada safer. It's like, well, that's quite a, that's a broad statement. How exactly are you going to do that other than take my property? So this isn't going to, um, it's not going to subside anytime soon. Um, although just going back to what you said, like this victory truly belongs to everybody that played a part, either supported an organization, uh, wrote a letter, called their MP, you know, expressed their displeasure to the government in some way. And, and so First Nations really stepped up and hunters, hunters and I guess farmers, right? But hunters really stepped up. So typically it's the, the gun lobby, typically uh, supported and, and run and, and fueled by handgun owners and black rifle owners, right? Because we're the, we're the ones that are the tip of the spear. We're the ones that are under full attack all the time, like, you know, other than the Harper years, right? Um, and we can only do so much by ourselves. But when everyone realized that they have a dog in the fight, they all stood up, meaning, like I said, hunters and First Nations, and we couldn't have done it without them really taking an interest and in, in getting involved. So hopefully that that participation continues because that's what we need to, to keep pushing this off. Like just sports shooters can't do it by themselves because we're too small a group. So when we look at those numbers, what's your, uh, you've given me the number before, but I forget, it's a 2.1 million lawful gun owners in Canada or something like that. What's that number? Yeah, just over 2.2 million license holders. Okay. So there's, there's actually more... <laughs> Um, there's three times as many license holders in Canada, firearms license holders in Canada than there are registered hockey players, people that play league hockey. So it's not a small group, um, but, you know, gun owners come from all walks of life. We're not a, 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 I don't know, like a consistent demographic. There's all kinds of people. So there are people that own guns that are vote liberal. And there's people that own guns that work in universities and doctors and lawyers and all these, a lot of these white collar careers like I like myself I guess right that you would not expect I didn't grow up around guns so not every gun owner is getting involved not every gun owner is against you know gun control um so it's it's been a real struggle and I have to um, again credit organizations like yours that typically are the last to lose their guns but your turn's coming but you know you you, you got involved and and that's what it took and we actually changed the behavior of government i don't want to i don't want it ever to be lost on anybody what an achievement that was because these people are determined and they changed course yeah i think yeah. it's pretty critical that there, there we need some sort of tactic moving forward where we whereby we can keep these communities engaged i mean i, I think that's the, that's the real weak link with the narrative around hunters in particular, is is that well, hunters, gun owners. I mean, we all suffer from the same sort of issues where it it, does, it doesn't impl impact me. I'm not a handgun shooter. I'm not a black gun shooter. Um, I don't shoot ducks. I don't hunt geese. I don't hunt deer. Whatever. There's always something different that that, that there are only people just solely worried about themselves too often. And I, I guess it was a real wake up call when that happened, and and people finally said, oh shoot, this could actually impact me. So how do, how do we go about doing keeping these groups engaged? I mean, I see groups like uh, in BC. We've got the BC Wildlife Federation, a, a very large 
group that supports uh, supports wildlife conservation. <laughs> uh, anyways, they do, they do wildlife work. And then in Ontario, you've got the Ontario Fish and is it Ontario Fish and Wildlife or Fish and something. Yeah. Um, how do we keep groups like that engaged? I, I see them kind of doing their own thing. I don't see them really getting behind you guys. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's what they need to do. But at the same time, uh, just a united front would really be amazing wouldn't it like how, how do we do that is there some way to come up with a round table to pull these people together and say hey this is what we got to do and all stick to the same game plan or well th- all of these in- these individual organizations are fighting their own fight so when when it comes to ofa they're i think they're the biggest wildlife uh group in canada and when the handgun happened they didn't say a word because they typically don't represent handgun owners and it's my understanding that there's a lot of hunters out there that are like, well, yeah, ban handguns, you know, nobody needs a handgun anyway. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's really tough to, to, uh, to rally our community. Uh, we've seen it happen once, but the liberals had to attack bolt actions. They had to put language in their amendment that like, that allows them to take every single gun in Canada at some point. So they had to feel that threat for themselves in order to get involved. So I guess my hope, so it's, I guess your question is, how do we keep them involved? I'm, I'm hoping that now they're awake, we can keep them awake. Um, and as far as the actual boots on the ground, how do you do that? Uh, I would go back to our Scrap C21 campaign and I would kind of look at that. Um, so we did a bunch of different things. We had letter writing, which was very important, right? Helps, uh, helps these MPs, you know, puts the fear into them. Like I could lose my seat. At the end of the day, they want to stay in that seat because they're making big money. They're walking the halls of power. They're flying around business class. So that really um, works. But I think if I think of the only, the, the, the thing that scared the liberals the most, because uh, I you know I have to go back and figure out what we did and what worked and try to do that again kind of thing, was we did, part of that campaign was we sent um, sets of posters to every range that requested them. We were going to we were going to send them for free to the first, what was it, 100, I think, ranges. And within two days, 300 ranges contacted us, ranges and gun stores. And on that poster were, were, were pictures of the guns they were banning in the regulation, in the, in the uh, amendment, pardon me. And so what that did is it, it reached all the people that aren't sitting on Twitter fighting with people. They're not on forums. They're not on social media. Like it actually got around. And I think that's, if anything scared them, I think that was it. Because when we put a poster up at a range or there's communication going directly to people that that aren't on social media or don't watch TV a lot. Those are people that can't be propagandized by the liberals later, right? Because Marco Menachino came out and he's like, everybody's lying. I'm telling you, he was clearly lying. I mean, you just read the, <laughs> read the amendment for yourself. Was it's, a, it's amazing that there's any dispute, but we were able to reach people that, that the liberals couldn't reach. And I think that's the part they're like, oh man, there's 1400 clubs in Canada. There's millions, like a couple of million gun owners, even if, even if a third of them see that messaging and we can't refute it, they're going to know what we're up to and they're going to vote should there be a vote. So I think that part scared them. So I think we will be doing another campaign because those, um, those posters became um, dated, irrelevant, irrelevant, but dated the minute that we sent them out because it was like, like I say, eight days later, they're like, Oh, never mind. We weren't, we weren't, we weren't banning any hunting rifles, but we've withdrawn these amendments anyway. Right? Like, how do you know they're guilty? Right. It's like, well, you pulled the amendment. I thought you weren't banning any hunting rifles. <laughs> so I think we'll we'll continue to do campaigns like that. Like long answer, long, I guess. We'll continue to do those kinds of campaigns. We will have another one coming up in the next uh, month or two. 
um, with updated posters and and all kinds of different uh, different um, campaign type stuff. But uh, but yeah, I think the community has to stay awake. You have to realize what they tried to do, and they will continue to try to do it. And you can't let them divide us because the reason those things got pushed back is because we all stood up together. We were a real political force. If it's just sports shooters alone, it's not going to do it. If it's just a handful of hunters alone, it's not going to do it. we got to keep pushing back against these people. Yeah, it, it was pretty brilliant when I saw that on that Saturday morning, whatever day I was looking at it and all the... Uh all the various, I call a couple of cartoon characters and whatever else. Well, cartoon governments, so cartoon characters. Um, yeah, it, and, and the fact that it was shareable. So you could share that to whomever. You could put it on Facebook. You could do basically anything you wanted with that stuff. And, uh, and I, I mean, that's got to be a huge impact on the government when they see that kind of stuff because it's so readily shared nowadays in this world, right? So it's right. Uh, so you're, you're talking about the memes that we created. Memes. Thank you. Yeah. And also the videos. Yeah. And that. You could download them directly from our website, put them on your own computer and upload them as your, like your original, your own original post. Yeah, it was so, awesome. Yeah. But for stupid guys like me that uh, struggle with that kind of stuff, it was not particularly practical, but you know, I get my wife to do it or my kids to do it, right? So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they get they get flooded in the replies, right? So Marco Mendicino sends out some of his propaganda and then people are posting these images and videos and everything so that when people look through those replies they're like oh i think this guy just lied yeah right yes it's called absolutely. being ratioed right so yeah well so i, I guess we're our own or we're our own uh, own spokespeople when it comes to this because it's not like you get a fair shake on on general you know in the in the open media right yeah everyone is an advocate for that you can with with those tools that we created, we're going to create new ones. We have a new campaign coming up, and I can I can tell you what that is uh, in a minute if you like. But everyone has to be their own advocate. Everyone has to launch their own campaign because collectively, when you do it, they just get absolutely buried, and then they get scared, and then they step back. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it, sorry, sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. Yeah. No. One thing I w I want to just hit on before we leave this rod is. You talked about 2.2 million gun owners. If we had to do the split, what's the sports shooter versus everyone else ratio, just out of curiosity, give or take? Is it 50-50? Is it less than that? I don't know. Well, it, there there are no real numbers. There are 650,000 people that have an RPAL. Um, I would imagine that there's probably a 100,000 people out there that don't own a handgun or an AR-15, now prohibited, right? But Or a short-barreled rifle short-barreled semi-auto. Those are the restricted firearms in Canada. So I don't know. I would imagine that there's maybe 400,000 people with a, with a dog in that sport shooting fight, but people that actively use those firearms, it, it probably is half that. And then you, I mean, this is how we segment our, our available market, right? And then there's a bunch of people in there that just couldn't be bothered to advocate for themselves or support an organization. But I did a, the only way for us to know is I did a calculation a couple of years ago and I thought, well, how many politically active gun owners are in Canada? And I figured, well, I know how many members all the firearm organizations have. And we're, we're the biggest one, um, I guess. And I looked at, well, how many people have actually made a donation to the CCFR? And it's around 80 or 90,000 people. So that's a, a group of people that are interested enough to send 10 bucks or whatever to the CCFR or become a member or whatever. So that's an indication how motivated, how many motivated people there are less than a hundred thousand for sure. 
because the organization, the firearm organizations probably have almost all the same members. It's the same group of people, I think, that are politically active. So maybe 80, maybe 90,000 people out of 2.2 million are that motivated. So that's why we need First Nations. We need indigenous hunters and farmers. We need regular hunters and farmers. We need everybody to make those numbers bigger so that we can have a bigger impact politically. It seems yeah. to me like politically, the uh, when they went with this other, this outreach on the C-21, um, sorry, the two amendments, and they, they started going after these bolt guns and some shotguns and whatever else it was, that that was, were they testing the water or was it just a political misstep? Did they just screw up? Like, did they not think that, hey, we're going to wake up a bunch of people that we really shouldn't wake up here right now? Well, you know, that that can be a big debate. It can be a big conceptual conversation. Like, what are they thinking really, right? And at the end of the day, they're doing it for two reasons. These people are completely out of touch. I, I don't want to start ranting and raving, right? But they're, they're, they're largely narcissistic. They believe that they're the only ones that should have guns. No one else should have any guns for any reason. That suits them just fine, right? Just fine. Um, and they think that they can make political hay out of it in urban centers because the liberals, the only place that they're strong is urban centers, right? Where people tend to be, I mean, I live in the city, lived in the city for a long time. You, you tend to be out of touch. Your food just shows up at the grocery store. You don't know where your food comes from. You know what I mean? Like all the services are delivered to you. You pay your money. And so you can kind of get out of touch with, with how things work in the rest of Canada. And I think that's, that's really what it is. They don't want, they don't want you to own any guns. And they are looking for that urban vote. And, you know, I think I think in the last two elections, it worked out quite well for them, right? They were like, oh, you know, they're going to bring assault, ri assault rifles, but our, our, you know, they're going to make assault rifles legal again was their big line. But our group does so much outreach to the non-gun owning public uh, through social media mainly that I'm hoping that the average Canadian now has gone... Um, target shooters and hunters and farmers and indigenous Canadians are not the reason why we have shootings in urban centers and rural communities in Canada. It's bail reform. It's increasing levels of criminality. It's the, the drug ep epidemic and the, the liberals are, I don't, I want to pull the Peter Julian. It's not that they're not doing nothing, <laughs> but, but they're not doing any, you know, they're, they're not addressing these problems with anywhere near the effort that they're trying to get your bolt action rifle from you. And that's a problem. I think, I think, uh, I think people are getting smarter on, on this topic and it's not going to be as much of a winner in the next election for them. I hope so. So, you, you know, I, I, you know, you made me think of something there. I wasn't really going to go down the rabbit hole in this one, but you, you hooked me on it. But, uh, is this, you know, is there, is there an, a lobby, an anti-gun lobby that's driving a lot of this or is it just strictly votes or is it, you know, a narrative that, you know, that truly is Canada. Some people actually think Canada's safer without guns on like legal gun owners out there. What, what is there? Like we know in the U S there's an anti-gun lobby for sure. Is that, is there a big one in Canada? What's your, your take on that? Well, what we have in Canada is not so much lobby organizations. We have victims groups. So there's Polly Sesuvian, which is, um, there's a, a couple of the women that were at um, Ecole Polytechnique back in 1989, uh, one who is a legitimate real victim, which is uh, Natalie Provo, and she was shot four times. And, you know, it's, we've, as an organization, we've reached out several times to them to say, 
at the end of the day, we, we both want the same thing. Like gun owners don't want to see anybody shot, but it, at the end of the day, it comes down to what measures do government have to take? What kind of gun control works, you know, if any, um, you know, we have to consider the people that are losing their property and their identity and their, and everything that's because guns are really important. They're really important to me on a lot of different levels, but these groups, I think they, they end up getting used by, by the liberals used by certain governments. Um, they get an, emboldened by them. It's like, okay, whatever these people say is, is gospel. If you disagree with them, you are attacking victims. Like the, the dialogue is really terrible. So there's a couple of victims groups uh, that are kind of at the forefront. Of course, you got the spin doctors for protection from guns, the Canadian doctors from protection from guns, but I call them the spin docs because they spin everything. So I, I guess they would be as close to a lobby group as you would get. They are registered lobbyists, but um, they're, they're pretty lazy, but they definitely use their uh, doctor's credentials to, to obscure the truth. But yeah, that's what you have. You don't have a CCFR on the anti-gun side in Canada. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Let's, uh, anything else on that stuff, Mike, that you want to touch on? Are we good? No, I think, I think we got her, bud. Okay. Let's jump into something I want to talk a little bit about is we're seeing a lot more of these provincial firearms acts coming through. Uh, obviously firearm control is a federal issue and we're seeing these provincial acts bring our listeners up to speed and me actually more so than anyone probably what's going on with that. Um, you know, are they effective? What's a, are they going to work? Um, and what does that look like federally for firearms control and, and the legislation aspect of that? So primarily I'm more familiar with what's going on in Alberta, but Alberta and Saskatchewan are both doing similar things to stop the, the buyback basically to stop confiscation. So um, in the case of Alberta, what they're doing, I think there's a few details, but overall, they're saying that anyone who is going to confiscate firearms, like, you know, set aside whether or not they're going to pay you some amount of money for it, it's still confiscation, right? It's, it's, it's involuntary. So anyone that is charged with confiscating firearms or responsible for confiscating firearms in the province has to have a license from the provincial government. And it's up to the provincial government whether or not they issue any licenses, right? This is how they're doing it. So they're like, well, well, RCMP, if you want to collect firearms, can't do it in Alberta unless you got a license. And you know what? Uh, your license is still in processing. I know it's been a while, but, you know, we have some staffing problems, supply, you know, supply chain. I don't know, whatever. But, yeah, it's really slow. Uh, you know, it might happen this year. So it's it's really kind of a cheeky way to say, you know, no one is authorized to to confiscate firearms in our province. Now, whether or not that would stand up to a lawsuit or a judicial review, I don't know yet because I'm not sure that anyone's ever done that before, but certainly sets up a roadblock. So if you're in Saskatchewan or in Alberta, it looks like even if they rolled the buyback out, you wouldn't have to comply with that. You'd be safe from the RCMP or, or a municipal police force that's getting money from the feds, which is what they're trying to do. Um, you're safe from them actually coming to collect your firearm. So what that looks like in real life, I just don't know because it, you know, I just don't know, but, uh, but that's what they're trying to do. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And this is, so Alberta's well on their way in Saskatchewan recently jumped on this bandwagon as well. Is there provincial lobbies and, you know, are you guys working with other provincial governments trying to get that, that stuff going or what does that look like moving forward um, for other provinces as well? Well, the influence for provinces to jump on board with something like that wouldn't come from us. 
it would come because the different provinces have different provincial governments and their political leanings, right? So it would be, hey, Alberta has taken, has, you know, um, assumed a leadership role there. Saskatchewan has assumed a leadership role. Then you have Yukon doing a few things. And then you have New Brunswick doing a few things. But that's going to come, that's going to be at a peer level. They're going to be like, okay, what did they do there? Should we do that? You know, they, they may think it's a loser for votes, right? I mean, if you're trying to do that in Ontario, it's going to cost you votes because that's where Toronto is and, and Ottawa. These people are anti-gun over, overwhelmingly. So it's going to, you know, so don't look for Ontario to do anything kind of thing. So we'll, we'll see. Okay. Sounds good. Um, now with regards to, um, to the amendment and, and, um, these different amendments that are going through and everything, your, your biggest, um, I guess our best approach moving forward is to delay to the next election. Hopefully the liberals don't get in and then that all goes away. Ideally, is that, is that the approach? And I know we talked about this before, but let's bring our listeners up to speed on what what are the next steps around that uh, C twenty one and the amendments that the outstanding amendments. So to 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 fight an unfriendly government, you know, like the government of Canada is is big, and <laughs> that's that's something almost nobody can do. Um, but we do a lot of different things. So right now, our landmark uh, lawsuit, the biggest lawsuit in Canadian history on behalf of gun owners is in court like right now as we speak. So our hearing started yesterday. We have eight days of hearings and then we'll find we'll get a decision on these uh, issues in about three or four months. So that's happening. So we've sued the government and it's, it's a huge lawsuit. Like we put $2 million into this thing so far, over 2 million. So it's, it's big. Then we have campaigns like our scrap C21 and whatnot, where we're, uh, mobilizing gun owners and embarrassing the government and sh and shining light on what they're doing and making sure everybody understands what they're doing isn't going to make Canada safer. So there's a, a public outreach thing. And then, of course, we're working the, uh, the political angles uh, with our allies uh, in the House to make sure that they are delaying as, uh, as, as much as possible to try to run the clock out on Bill C-21 um, so maybe we can get an election in the summer. Maybe we can get an election in the fall. If we keep pushing Bill C-21 down the road, we won't have to fight legislation. So if if you'll allow me, legislation is a real problem because legislation is is law in Canada. And it takes a majority government or a coalition government to repeal that law. And it takes a long time because the same tactics we're using can be used against us. Right now, the May 2020 gun ban is regulation. It's like an executive order. So a minority government, if there was a minority conservative government, they can, they can take that. It's gone in a day. All right. And everything goes back to the way it used to be. Same thing with that, with the handgun freeze. That's a regulation. They can repeal those regulations in a day, right? All these reclassifications, the, you know, they can deal with those in a day, but legislation's different. So we're trying to help the conservatives because they have a chance to win this. And that's the only way for us to repeal any of this stuff because you need a minority government to repeal those, uh, those uh, regulations and, you know, throwing uh, manure at the government, shedding light on what they're doing, suing them, mobilizing gun owners. So there's a lot of things that we're doing all at the same time, but that's, that's how we're doing it. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, um, uh the lawsuit. Um, first of all, what is the government being sued for uh, a high level? 
so there's the, one of the reasons why this case is so expensive is we're doing a lot of different things. So um, we are suing the government. Well, it's a it's a judicial review um, against the order and council. So what we're saying is, and not to get too technical about it, but when they did that gun ban on May first, twenty twenty, they the government actually didn't have the authority to write that regulation. It says clearly in the criminal code that any long gun that's appropriate for hunting or target shooting cannot be prohibited by the federal government. And, and that's law, that's legislation, that's not regulation. So the government's like, we don't care what the law says, we're doing it. So they, they, uh, they put in this regulation to ban all those guns. And then of course, all the ones that came later as variants by the RCMP. Well, they didn't have the authority to do that. So we think that we are going to win that. And so that regulation, we should have that overturned. And so, and what that means at the end of the day, I don't know. Um, I think it just means everything goes back to the way it was, but we don't know how the government's going to respond. So that's a, I'm not going to say it's a sure thing because nothing's a sure thing in court, but you know, like it's a 90% chance we'll be successful there. We also wrapped in a constitutional question, a, a charter question, which is, which has to do with property rights. Can the government just decide because they see an opportunity like they did with the spree shooting in Nova Scotia one of the darkest days in Canadian history. They're like, here's our opportunity. Two weeks later, they tried to ban our guns. Can the government just grab whatever it wants from you anytime it wants for, because of a political opportunity or whatever their motivation is? Or do they have to legitimately justify that? Or can they do it at all? Like these are questions that I don't think Canadians have the answers to. Well, we're going to have the answers. Now that part of our lawsuit is more difficult. Our team's like, oh, you really don't have property rights in Canada. The government can grab whatever it wants from you. So, you know, to varying degrees, right? So we're going to have an answer to that question. And that's the part, I think, in this lawsuit that is extremely important for every Canadian, whether they own guns or not. You need to know the, the, the answer to that question. Like if I get into government, can I just come and grab your house? Can I just come and grab your car? Because we're not doing gas anymore. We're not doing fossil fuel anymore. Can I just reach into your life and take, you know, as the government that you pay for? That's a really serious question. So, like I said, we'll have the answer to that, too. So the lawsuit, you said the hearings just commenced and it's eight days of hearing that's currently ongoing. Is that for both parts of that or is it just the first part the OIC stuff? That's for everything. Okay. So eight days of hearing that's going on. Is that in Ottawa right now or where is that taking place? That's in Ottawa in the uh, Supreme Court building. It's not a Supreme Court hearing, but that's where they're holding it. Okay, so eight days of hearings, three months to rule, four months to rule, and then, um, and that doesn't affect currently like the SECU stuff and the C21 stuff that's currently ongoing with the amendments and all that no. stuff. No, no. Okay, all right. Uh, what are the timelines for the C21 stuff? When do they get back together to for the to review the amendment stuff? Um, is it is it been on hold now because they're reviewing the other stuff that got thrown out, or what's going on with that? Um, they, yeah, so there's a bit of a review going on there. The liberals will come up with a new amendment to try to get everybody to go back to sleep and they can still ban guns somehow. Um, but, uh, the public safety committee has had some other priorities because that committee is not just responsible for gun stuff. It's responsible for, you know, national security things. And they, they meet on all kinds of things, Chinese interference, right? There's a whole bunch of things that they're, they're meeting on. And so, um, they only sit, they're on break now for spring break. These guys get a lot of breaks. Um, so they're on breaks for a few on break for like two or three weeks. And, uh, cause you know, it's spring and, uh, then they come back, I think for about a month and a half, two months. And in the middle of June, 
they will rise again. They won't be meeting again all the way to the middle of September. So they get three months, three months off. These guys make 200K, by the way, to start. Just I'm just throwing that out there. Um, then they get three months off and or in riding, and then they'll they'll commence again in uh, in the middle of September. So that's a really that's a really important thing because that's three months that no forward progress is going to be made on the legislation or in the committee itself. So if we can delay, if that doesn't happen till like in September, end of September, if there's no forward motion, then the committee might meet a few more times. Then it goes to third reading, which is like a day. And then it goes to the Senate. And there's a similar process that happens in the Senate where they have witnesses and there's delays and committee and all that stuff there. And then it comes back to the House and becomes law-ish. So I'm hoping that this doesn't happen till November or December. And I'm hoping that we can have an election before that and we can turn this ship we call Canada around. So that's sort of what we're looking at in, in the near future. So from a political perspective, Rod, do you see scenario like, uh, let's say it does go to Senate, for example, it, it gets that far down the road. Um, conservatives get in, they come in, they said, it's done, it's dead. Can they throw it out like that? Does it matter if it's gone to Senate or not? They can just discard it and it be a way Yeah. When there's an election in Canada, every bill that's in progress dies on the order paper like that. It's over. So, and then that means if they wanted to, let's say the liberals won again, I don't, I don't even mean to bring that up, but anyway, let's, let's just say that, that happened. Then the liberals would have to start with a go, oh, Hey, here's our new bill. C 22. You may remember it as C 21 and it starts with first reading again. And yeah, so all those bills die on the order paper and they have to be reintroduced from the beginning. So, so now the handgun freeze, we talked about that a little bit. If the let's say the conservatives were to get in, if they're a minority, they cannot overturn that without support. They would need some sort of majority support, maybe a coalition. They can't do it as a minority, correct? They so would the hand, need. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. That's all. So the handgun freeze is a regulation. It's not. It's not law. Now that handgun freeze, the conditions of the handgun freeze are in Bill C twenty one. So if Bill C twenty one at the end of this year, in November or December, became law. Yeah, you're done with handguns until you have a majority government to overturn that legislation. And it would be a battle for that government, just like it was a battle against us for, for this, uh, for Bill C-21. Um, but as far as the handgun freeze is concerned, like when that happened, we looked at suing the government, but the problem is there's no such protection in the criminal code for handguns. The government can do what they just did. So there's nothing to sue over, but you know, and we got a legal opinion to make sure that, you know, if there was an opportunity, we would have jumped on it, but there, there really isn't. So you gotta be, uh, the problem with, with lawsuits is that they're, they're good fundraisers. Cause people are like, yeah, sue the government. And it's like, well, you should sue them when you have a reasonable, um, a reasonable prospect of winning something. You see, you have to sue them for a reason, not just to say, Hey, we're an organization. We're suing the government, you know, send us money. That's, that's not how it's supposed to work. Right. So we looked at the handgun thing and the government is well within its rights to, um, uh, create regulations to stop the import, create regulations to stop transfers, create regulate, like all that stuff they can do. But anyway, I guess at the end of the day, the good news is it's just a regulation. So focus on getting the conservatives, at least a minority government. And they'll, in my opinion, they will reverse the handgun thing right away. Cause that one's easy. It's recent and handguns are really, really tightly controlled in Canada anyway. The, the AR-15s and stuff like that probably be, be a lot more of a battle because it's politically charged, even though it's just a rifle. 
It's no different than a Remington. What are those 7600s? A semi-auto hunting rifle. 7400s, I can't remember. But, um, you know, it's just a rifle. But yeah, that's that's how it works and, and that's how it can be reversed. Okay. Now with the lawsuit, if you guys are successful, if you get the ruling in your favor in three to four months, ideally, does that mean the the C21 goes away or is that still going to, that process still continue? So no, uh, the lawsuit isn't going to affect Bill C, um, Bill C21. Um, Bill C21 is basically unfazed by the, by the, by the reversal of that order and counsel for the gun ban. So if they say AR-15s are a prohibited firearm and it's in legislation, you know, that's overridden the, the criminal code, right? It's the, the reason why we have some standing there is because they just use regulation and those guns are protected under the criminal code in section 117, if you want to read it yourself kind of thing. Um, and I think the the big question is um, what effect is that going to have? If all of a sudden, the, you know, I get a call, it's like, oh, the, the, the decision's coming out today. I mean, like, okay, great. And we read it and it's like, yeah, you guys never had the authority to, to do that May 1st gun ban. I don't know what that looks like. You know, I asked our legal team, I was in Calgary this past weekend and, and I asked um, uh, our general counsel, I'm like, well, what, so what? Like all of a sudden I could just go to the range, you know what I mean? With my, with my AR-15. Um, and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So all of our registration certificates were apparently nullified, which there's another court challenge. <laughs> saying that you don't have the uh, there is nullification isn't a legal thing you know you either have to to uh revoke them or not so anyway i guess it's we're going around a bit of a circle but um to me the big question is you know what does that look like after is everybody just okay now or will the government come back and and just do another oic in a different way and we got to fight that one too it's uh it's unclear i appreciate it it's a lot of detail because it's and and I'll tell you, you feel pretty small when you're fighting the government of a G7 nation. Like and these guys have resources, right? Like infinite resources, right? If they run out of money, they just go to you and take more of yours, right? Or print more. So it's it's very yeah, it's it's, it's a lot. It's very detailed and it's very strategic. And you know, gun lobbies in Canada aren't like the NRA in the United States or whatever. You know, the NRA had an operating budget of three hundred million dollars. You know, we bring in a, a couple of million dollars a year. And we do all of the stuff that we do with that. So it's um, it's a challenge. Um, okay, let's... Uh, so Scrap C21, incredibly successful, very short-lived campaign, and the kind you want to see, that's exactly what we're after. So although yeah. you're like, wow, we didn't even get to roll all of it out. And it went, so that Anyway, congratulations on that. But what's the new phase? What does it look like for us? How can we support? What do we need to do? Well, um, you can always support the CCFR by becoming a member or donating. You can do that. Um, if, you know, times are tough. Times have been tough actually for a long time, um, you know, over the last, uh, you know, three, four years. Um, but everyone can be their own advocate. If you're, if you're on social media, go to ccfrdownload.ca. And there's a bunch of tools there. You can uh, spread information online. That's really important. You can take people to task online. You can take people shooting. We have a, another campaign that we did uh, called National Range Day. This year, it's on uh, June the 3rd. So if you're a member of a shooting club, go to your executive and go, hey, man, what are we doing for National Range Day? Are we doing an open house or are we doing a lady shoot or what are we doing? And if the answer is like, what? National Range Day? Then right away, you now have appointed yourself leader. Make something happen because I think most gun owners understand the best way to change people's minds about private firearm ownership, civilian firearm ownership, is to take them shooting. 
to see why people, to understand why people own guns. It's not just like, oh, I want to feel powerful or whatever. Like there's a lot to it, right? It's a very unique property. So um, National Range Day was the first year, uh, was the first one ever last year. And there were over a hundred range events across the country in its first year. But we actually hired people to call every range we had contact information on, call their executive on the phone and send emails on top of that to say, hey, you know, here's what we can do to help you. You have to hold these, you know, this is this is our strategy. And, and it was a hundred the first year. So um, National Range Day is a really big thing. You can find that at nationalrangeday.ca as well. That's another uh, initiative. So, um, but yeah, become a member or donate uh, or be your own advocate online and take people shooting. That's what you can do as an individual. Awesome. And is that the, the new campaign? Is it National Range Day or is there, um, you talked about a new campaign strategy? Is it- well, that's, that's an existing campaign and we just keep fueling that every year to try to grow it. Um, but, uh, we have a new campaign, um, coming out in the next couple of months. And what that is, is we, we have to look at, you know, going back to what Mike was, was talking about all these different aspects of this fight, because you can't just show up and say, Hey, gun owners support me. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to call, uh, MPs. So flood me with money. You know, it's like, well, you have to do 10 different things because we're fighting something a lot bigger than ourselves. So when I look at the liberal government, the weak link there is the is the NDP. That's the weak link because the NDP, the only reason that the the Trudeau government can do any of this stuff to you is because the NDP are supporting them. They have a coalition agreement, right? So and so all these bad things, all of these scandals and whatever, all they're all made possible by Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. They're the only reason that government still stands. They're propping them up. So it's going to be Jagmeet Singh's turn to feel the heat. So like Scrap C21, we're doing another campaign. It's all going to be pointed at the NDP to, to put pressure on them to stop supporting this terrible, wildly corrupt. I don't think that's even controversial to say. We've all seen it, right? <laughs> to stop supporting this government. So we're going to start putting pressure on them. Save your reputation. Be, do the right thing. Be the virtuous, honest party that you you claim you are stop supporting this government so that's what this campaign will be about putting pressure on the ndp and it will be a lot of pressure and especially if all of your members and their family members and everyone supports it by by participating in it getting on social media putting the pressure on them sharing the material stuff like that so jag meets next Awesome. Okay. So short term, uh, last time we were on, you said, you know, you talked about, uh, what we could do and our members were writing, uh, and we made that available. And I know a bunch did, I think we used our act now campaign to press that. Um, so I guess the next thing is keep an eye out for this new campaign coming out and share that stuff and then just share existing stuff, take people to range. Um, that's the main takeaway as of right now that we want our members to focus on. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, a lot of people doing just a couple of small things or a lot of people donating just a, a little bit of money is far better than a small group of people doing everything and and don't you know what i mean because you get you get exhausted you have donor fatigue and you you get to a point where you're just like i don't want to fight this fight anymore just take take one person in the range a month take one person in the range every 6 weeks you know spend 30 minutes a week on social media spreading the material around and engaging a little bit of conversation then disengage don't burn yourself out. That's the most important thing. Don't, you know, it's, 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 this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So just 
drip, drip. Just keep that, that little bit of pressure on. And if a million people do that, this government will be gone and things will improve. You know, I can't say it'll fix every problem in the country, but certainly on the firearm front, things will be, we'll just go, go back to normal and just be normal people again. Very cool. Um, yeah, you talked about the the range stuff. I think Mission Rod and Gun Club's hosting an event in May that Tracy's going to be at. Uh, you guys are uh, co-sponsoring it or, or affiliated in some capacity. Um, my wife's going to go over. She's signed up for it. Um, I'm going to volunteer. A couple other directors are going over. So pretty stoked about that and about what you guys are doing there. Really excited to see what that looks like. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Mission's a great club. They've uh, They've really helped us. Good people. Very cool. Uh, Mike, what am I missing? What else do we need to talk about? Well, and if I could just jump in, one of the things that the CCFR did that can help that process is we have a website called gundebate.ca. So gundebate.ca. And on that website are tons of educational materials. So videos and the explainer videos and, and studies, and there's all kinds of information on there if you want to become a better debater just in your own life, right? Because somebody will be like, well, what about all these shootings? You know, nobody needs a gun. Look at all these shootings. It's like, well, it's look who's doing the shooting and where are those guns coming from, right? And what are the problems that are causing people to hurt each other? Like, you'll learn all that stuff on gundebate.ca. That's That was a project we did a long time ago. It's still up. And it was just to help gun owners get, uh, get uh, better at understanding this issue so they can communicate and also providing these tools that you can say, you know what, here, I'm sending you a link to a video. This one will tell you everything that I couldn't, I couldn't articulate properly at dinner because I had a couple of drinks. So just watch this. It's two minutes. This is what I'm talking about. So it's a really good resource. I keep forgetting to talk about it. We do, we do these big projects and then I forget about them like literally weeks later and I'm on to the next thing. So gundebate.ca is a good resource for that. Well, well, it is, but that the firearmrights.ca, otherwise known as ccfr.ca, there's a lot of information on that website. So it may be hard to find stuff because when you start having this much these many campaigns and these many projects and this all, it just gets pretty unwieldy to, to sort through. So you got ccfr.ca for the CCFR. You have gundebate.ca. That's our knowledge-based website. You have ccfrdownload.ca. That's part of um, that's far, part of our uh, Scrap C21 campaign. There's other videos that you can download directly on your computer from there. And of course, we had C, Scrap C21.ca and that was for that campaign, but we'll repurpose that one. So those are all the all the places you can go to get a, a lot of the work, all of it costs you nothing uh, to go and use it. So that's where a lot of our work is. It is it, it is pretty good. So that's called the CCFR Insiders. Um, it was an idea that somebody had a long time ago. And basically, yeah, once a month, there's a meeting. If you if you go to, um, to CCFR.ca and you do a recurring donation for $20 or more, you're automatically included into the Insiders. And then once a month, we have a meeting where you can talk directly to Tracy and I. We sit together for about an hour, an hour and a half. And if you're like, hey, you know, I thought this was a really good idea. How about that? You can just talk directly to us in a, in a Zoom meeting. Well, I, I, I was wondering if I should even come on the podcast uh, until you became an insider. But I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, make sure you give him a hard time. He, he, yeah, he deserves well, I'm it. trying. Yeah, I don't awesome. know if it worked. Um, okay, in closing, Rod, obviously I've got all these uh, sites written down. We'll close, include them in the show notes and uh, try and get people over there. And um, But um, any closing thoughts on uh, anything CCFR related before we close up? 
I, I think we beat up your listeners enough with all the CCFR stuff today, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity and um, just hopefully people make good use of the tools and keep fighting. Yeah, can't stop. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome, Rod. Well, thank you so much for your continued effort. It was fantastic seeing you in Kamloops at our event. Loved having you up there, and uh, hopefully we can make that a regular yearly thing. Love to have you back next year, and just appreciate all that you and Tracy and all the entire team of the CCFR does for all of us uh, lawful gun owners in Canada. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the help that uh, your organization has given us, um, and uh, and it was my pleasure to be there. So, And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience. It's uh, Yeah, I, it's very meaningful.